0: Welcome to the Not So Average podcast. My name is Courtney and I built this podcast to deconstruct traditional advice and the idea of living an average life to inspire you to step into your power and be the creator of your own life. If you're also viewing living an average life as very boring and you're looking to upgrade your mind, body, and soul, then you're in the right place and I'm so glad to have you here. Subscribe to hear new episodes every Wednesday on all streaming platforms and let's jump into the episode. Hey, hey, everybody. Before we dive into this interview with Fiona from Sensorium, I want to quickly talk about their event that's happening on Thursday, August 3rd at Lavelle. It's an alcohol-free wine tasting. It's a night of wine, less the hangover, hosted by Sensorium at Lavelle, featuring Michael Bright, the founder of Australia's award-winning alcohol winery called Edenvale. I'm actually going to be speaking at the event with Fiona as well, which I'm so, so honored to be able to be part of. So if you guys want to join this event, I think there's only a couple more tickets left. You can go into the link in the bio and it will get you 20% off or use code not so average, but you can use the link and it'll just automatically apply the coupon. Please come to this event. If you're curious about alcohol-free wine, I'm so excited. It's going to be sexy and sober and I'm just so, so stoked. So I wanted to quickly pop on and say that before we dive into this interview and I hope you enjoy Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm so excited to be bringing this guest here today. We have Fiona Hefer joining us on the Not So Average podcast. She is the co-founder and creative director at Sansorium. Sansorium is an alcohol-free agency, marketplace, and community. They specialize in importing award-winning alcohol-free wine and spirits from around the world, distributing across Canada while building and supporting the alcohol-free community one drink at a time. Fiona, I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so excited to have you. I met you for context for the listeners at an event in Vancouver in 2022, earlier that year. Mm-hmm. We can't remember which month. <laughs> and I, I, somewhere around February, March, I want to say. And it was through a Sober Girls Guide, I think it was, from yeah, Lindsay and her right. podcast. And there was like a collaborated event. And actually, one of my friends invited me to the event. And I had no idea what Sansorium or her podcast or that there was this whole community. And <laughs> That event was truly game changing for me and my relationship to alcohol and kind of journey into where I've gotten to today. So I was just so excited to finally be able to connect with you and have you on the podcast because that event was actually very pivotal for me, and i'm I'm super excited.
1: I know that's so cool. It was I remember talking to you actually after that event, and you were radiant. <laughs> you were just like, magnetic in the way that you wanted to stay inside of this bubble you were clearly there something had stuck with you something had resonated with you and you were in the early stages of your sobriety journey um and I just remember how excited you were and I wanted to like sit with you the whole night and listen to your story and so I'm so glad you connected afterwards
0: Oh my God. I had a bright pink furry coat on and yeah. all of the photos. It's like, it's fine Waldo because that <laughs> yes. bright pink coat, you can find me anywhere in that room. <laughs> it
1: was so no, special.
0: Yeah. Oh, and it was so awesome. Cause I remember, I think I said to you something along the lines of like, this is what I was looking for when I learned of Sansorium because I'm like, I've been looking for all these alcohol-free brands and all mm-hmm. of these things mm-hmm. to create these, you know, fun cocktails and kind of I call it sex it up with the cocktails mm-hmm. without alcohol, mm-hmm. but anything I would search online it would be American and it would be very difficult to get your hands on. Yeah. How long have you been doing Sensorium and kind of how did this all come about?
1: Yeah, so we launched in September of 2021. So it's been almost two years for us. We're celebrating on September the sixth, our two-year anniversary. Uh, it took us the better part of that year to build it. Um, it was the impetus was my mom actually going sober in January of 2020, and when she did, she kind of she really just overnight decided she wasn't going to drink alcohol anymore. And we spent all of 2020 drinking horrible quality, <laughs> alcohol free everything. Um, but that really was like seeing her go sober was the permission it gave me to also go sober. Um, and I had watched her drink for years. You know, I grew up in mom wine culture where you reward yourself at the end of a hardworking day with a glass or two or a bottle of Sauvignon Blanc. You know, pre-chilled in the fridge from the morning. I can still hear the ice cubes in the bottom of the glass because she wanted it to to chill down even faster. I can still hear the paper bag as she walks in from the liquor store. You know, it's a real memory for me. Um, and it was it was so normal that you would you would you know polish off a bottle of wine every day that I didn't know any different, but I did feel a distance. Between myself and my mom, that I didn't feel in the morning when she woke up and she was getting us ready and she was present and she was, you know, rushing us out of the door to get to school um, as she was on her way to work. There was just a different energy between us at the end of the day when she um, was drinking because that's really the nature of alcohol. It disconnects you from yourself, but people forget that it also disconnects you from others. So in my little body, I just, didn't realize that I felt disconnected from my mom because of alcohol. And so as I got older and, uh, I had my own daughter, I realized I wasn't going to, I didn't want to do the same thing. And when she went sober and I realized it was about alcohol, I felt like, Oh my goodness, just the, the light bulb started going off in my head. Um, that I could choose sobriety, even though I didn't have an addiction to alcohol, I could choose it because I didn't want to disconnect from myself or others around me.
0: Oh my God, that's amazing. That's such a unique story that I feel like you don't hear conversations about with that mother to daughter relationship and just dis- disconnecting in these very intimate relationships from mm-hmm. mother to daughter, um, intimate relationships and Things like that where alcohol kind of becomes this little wall that comes up between two people mm-hmm. or in, within the family. Yeah. And I love that you spoke about mommy culture and the like wine, wine culture. It's culture, yeah. such a huge thing of how many tchotchkes there's are in the house of, you know, mommy needs a drink or, you know, the t-shirts just there's a whole market around. It. There is.
1: It's big. Yeah. And I feel like it's only being addressed now, but it's been steeped for many decades. And I, yeah, I didn't really know what to call it until I became an adult. And I did, and social really pushed it forward too, where you'd see, you know, moms posting stories. And I'm a mom, I get it. I've had extremely hard days. I know what it's like to want a break. Um, I know what it's like to need help. And I know, and I, I have one child. I don't have more than one, where you need even more help. So I have a lot of compassion for this. Um, but it, it is it is also at the same time another truth. It's hard to see moms posting about their their hardship whilst holding a glass of wine, and you can just see the kids in the background either crying or, you know, sitting down like watching a show while mom's like, you know, oh it's four oh one. I need my need my wine. It's it's the meaning behind it. I think that's harder to look at, not the one glass of wine necessarily, but it's the meaning behind it, that escapism, which we've talked about before.
0: Yeah, that deeper needing to numb out when anything happens. And I think when you're kind of, and I'm not a mother, so I can't speak to what it's like to have a child um, yet, but having those difficult days. And I feel like when it's so involved in your day-to-day life of bad day equals glass or bottle of wine what you kind of start to be able to justify whatever to be able to have those drinks as well to numb out when maybe emotions that were manageable previously now suddenly feel so much more difficult when you're in that Mm -hmm. cycle of consistently needing to numb out Mm -hmm. and maybe that that, that's something that people can relate to when Mm -hmm. you know times are tough and maybe it's not when like there's so many different stages I hear of motherhood too, as the child's growing and as the different challenges that come with that. Mm -hmm. How old's your daughter now?
1: She's five.
0: She's five. Okay. And would you say the, for you, your like level of sobriety, you said it didn't come from addiction, but you're at five years now or was it more than that? Yeah,
1: I would say, I I, I say that I'm not in the arena counting chips. I don't um, because I don't have an addiction where I, needed to go to AA and I was celebrating my first year cake and getting my first year chip. So (laughs) I have mad respect to people that go through the program and I, or similar programs. Um, A Sober Girls Guide is another great program to go through uh, for support. So I'm not in the arena counting chips. um, And I can recall some days where I've, where I've drank alcohol, either I've sipped it because I was looking for a profile that we were trying to replicate. um, Or I, I kind of just sipped it out of curiosity for what I wasn't doing anymore, but I don't think I've been drinking regularly for over five years. Um, and regularly is even a hard word for me because throughout my twenties, I would, I would rather work than drink alcohol. So I would work at the club or I'd work at the lounge or the bar or the restaurant. um, so that I had an excuse not to drink. I would volunteer to be, the designated driver so that I didn't have to drink. I would ask bartenders to make me a water shot instead of, you know, so I I've participated in it, but I can, I can see more times than not that I would rather not. And so I've been in and out of sober curiosity for over a decade, I would say. And, uh, I loved the feeling. I loved the feeling of the freedom it brought me. Um, to go about my day the way I wanted to feel, uh, normal in my body. Oof, like I, I don't take for granted my health, my overall health, because putting myself into a state of a hangover, which is literally just the withdrawal of, of the addiction from the night before, um, putting myself into hangover it, for me is the worst feeling. It's worse than any flu or COVID I've ever had, um, I would be glued to the bathroom floor floor tiles sick to my stomach for a day at least. And then I'd feel like that for the rest of the week on and off. So I just never recovered that way. I was never at brunch having Caesars the next day. (laughs) It's just not my, not me at all. So it was kind of like an allergy in a way. And um, I really loved my wholeness when I wasn't, when I wasn't drinking alcohol. So I don't know the last time that I, Stop drinking and I I don't mind that yeah, I don't mind.
0: No, I love that because it's not always black and white, and I don't think that even the counting chips is always productive because even if someone has, let's say, been on a journey for five years but has that drink or whatever, you don't lose all that time that you spent Mm -hmm. without, right? And I there's a big discussion around that. I don't Mm -hmm. know how I feel about it. I think saying whatever works for you works for you i just exactly. as long as you feel good about where you're at i'm, I'm all for it. yeah. and it's been weird for me because i've gone in and out of sober curious periods basically mm-hmm. where i've done basically like three rounds of six months mm-hmm. and now i'm in a state where i've made that cold turkey decision where i'm like okay me and alcohol are broken up like mm-hmm. this is actually done mm-hmm. i'm choosing to be sober from here on out mm-hmm and acknowledging that there's more of a problem mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. And now it's only been about three months. And I feel like I'm kind of always in this weird feeling of discounting it because it's only been three months, but I've learned so much in those years of kind of identifying patterns and mm-hmm. the habits around my relationship with alcohol mm-hmm. and things like that, that it's tough when someone asks me, how long have you been sober? Because mm. I've had that time where I've broke up with alcohol a few times and went back and it was kind of this toxic ex-boyfriend that I couldn't get rid of but I finally (laughs) killed him
1: (laughs) well actually you touch on such a interesting point here because I think in our culture particularly and this is the nature of the word it's we're so used to thinking about sobriety as the opposite of addiction only to alcohol only to alcohol or drugs but particularly when you say i'm sober we think about immediately that first thought in your mind is from is from alcohol but i talk to it in a way i hope that expands the word sober so i look at sobriety emotionally or sobriety mentally because you can be an addict you can be an addiction to relationship you can be an, ad- an addiction to food you can be an addiction to workouts and habits and perspectives and mindsets you, you know there's so many things that you can form habits around that become toxic to your life. So if you have, if you feel like something is interrupting you in your normal course of being well every day, that is an addiction. And then that needs to be looked at in terms of its problematic nature in itself. So it, it should go beyond alcohol. It really should. And I have, I have seen some of my addictions in relationships And I've solely gone to therapy just for those things, you know, that's my AA is my, is my therapist, um, for me to not fall back into 10 year long cycles around relationships that I no longer want to be in. So I think we can expand it now. And I hope our work, um, goes beyond the drink. That's my hope.
0: Oh my God. I love this so much. I think that's so beautifully said and I've never heard anyone articulate that way, but I 100% agree because for me going through the process, I've gone through process and the journey that I've gone through. I I was telling you off air previously when I kind of went this like six months Cali sober, if you will. I don't like labels, but that's kind of what I was calling it Mm -hmm. where I was still smoking some weed, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't drinking. Mm -hmm. I was still finding other ways to numb out. And I realized that maybe like alcohol wasn't the number one problem there either. There were so many other things that were under the surface, but ridding alcohol in that period of time allowed to shine some light on other behaviors that were Mm -hmm. also toxic addictions essentially in my life where I was binge eating. I was numbing out with weed, even though for me like cannabis hasn't been a negative, um, it's not like I, I smoke a joint and go do something stupid the way that alcohol could implicate my mm-hmm. life, but mm-hmm. the constant need to numb out when t- having a bad day or feeling anxiety or any of those things did start to form over the years, mm-hmm. as well as binge eating and overworking and all those things, trying yes. to just avoid feeling the hard feelings yeah. and going through difficult times. And so for me, where I'm at now is, shedding all of those that Mm -hmm. like behaviors that were no longer serving me the ways of thinking the limiting Mm -hmm. beliefs the Mm -hmm. all of it and so it feels very different because it doesn't feel like i just broke up with alcohol it feels like i broke up with an old version of myself that Mm -hmm. wasn't thriving wasn't happy was pretending she was okay and was really holding herself back with these patterns that she chose
1: mm-hmm. the mountain was you
0: <laughs> the mountain was me, <laughs> call me
1: Brianna Weiss <laughs> yeah exactly you were in your own way aren't we all like in our own way in some ways um, whether it gets to a level of addiction or not let's just call it escapism let's just call it for what it was and how much of us need to escape our lives what are we escaping right
0: yeah absolutely and it's interesting hearing this discussion be so much broader just now it's just starting to pick up. We were just talking about the industry and how quickly it's growing and how you'll see on LinkedIn, the angel investors are like, you guys got to hop on this bandwagon of alcohol-free market that is really exploding because Mm -hmm. there's such a demand of people becoming more sober, curious. And Mm -hmm. this whole buzzword is just exploding now. And I, it, you know, people are kind of calling it the new cigarettes or the new smoking, where people are looking at it in similar ways of, oh, this is negatively impacting our health and our wallets. And does this align with being cool anymore? And similar things are being said about alcohol. Mm -hmm. And I think Quit Like a Woman, that book by Holly Mm -hmm. Whitaker is Mm -hmm. a huge driver of that. And it's cool to question and to see how many people are just simply exploring whether it serves them in their life or not. And simply, you know, maybe cutting back or just getting getting curious with what it looks like for them. And because be- before we've never questioned it, it's just been a thing that we've part- been not even, I was going to say like part just being partaking in it, but I was going to say actually like it's, it's driving the force. We're literally forced into it through peer pressure because if you don't you must be the guy with the bottle in the the plastic or the paper bag that's on the street like screaming and singing to himself kind of like i'm thinking of frank gallagher from shameless yeah i feel like that is people's depiction of the the you're either this or that when it comes to alcohol. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And now we're shaking that narrative up.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's so much to touch on with that. Firstly around how well the big alcohol industry sold it to us. Right. Um, If we go back to post prohibition, that post-war celebratory uh, post-depression era, where alcohol was lifted and freed and and widely used because modern water sanitation was so low. Um, it was actually safer to drink alcohol back then when it was to drink water. So drinking culture was so normalized as a necessity. And then it just became a part of work life, it came a part of home life. And then big alcohol realized the addiction of alcohol the addictive nature of alcohol means we can get it into the hands of anyone and make them feel like a million bucks like we can sell we could sell the vision we could sell the lifestyle around alcohol so well that people will think they're sexier that they're funnier that they're smarter that they're more successful more brilliant um and soon it just it it was like a, a snowball effect um we really have convinced people or they've convinced people that you are not enough without alcohol that you are not comfortable enough, you are not joyful enough, you are not fun enough, you are not attractive enough, um, you're not appealing enough to the opposite sex if you're dating. You need this to be the conduit for life. A party doesn't start until alcohol is poured. Um, we're not at a party unless there's alcohol there. So many things. I mean, it, <laughs> the road is quite linear when it comes to what they've sold us. And now... I really thank women for the very f- the very first prohibition was actually led by women and in the temperance movement and now today it's again being led by women who are the first ones to look at their own personal health and well-being and take care right we all take care generally speaking of of uh, our communities and of ourselves and we're the ones going like waving the flag saying hey this is this is not working this is not good it's not good for our our families it's not good for our bodies not good for our children um Mm -hmm. mothers against drunk driving again another movement of our era that has shown that and now there's so many of these brands alcohol-free brands either the bottles themselves or the marketplaces or agencies like ours that are women-led and I, I really am excited. It is definitely a joint movement. I have tons of male colleagues, um, but it is I can definitely see a lot of women in the space that are whose voices are nice and loud, and I'm really happy to be part of it.
0: Oh, it's so amazing. And the idea of other topics that are being more widely discussed amongst um, especially specific North American culture, mental health being mm-hmm. one of those top ones thinking of the effects of alcohol and mental health and how much they are intertwined to be able to have that discussion of this like mental health crisis that we're under. we're just Mm -hmm. talking about how your mom decided to go sober in 2020. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking of my experience, like these were the years that I actually realized This is where I kind of went off the deep end when it came to alcohol, because I didn't know what to do with myself. I was chugging bottles of wine on my parents' couch in 2020 when we first hit lockdown, because I didn't know what to do with myself. And Mm. I remember seeing those stats of the alcohol sales just skyrocketing, because I think people like myself didn't know what to do with themselves. But it also was the thing that finally forced me to get curious around (laughs) Sober Curious, and maybe that this doesn't have to be this way. And so everyone's on their own timeline. But- It's fascinating to think of how mental health was being so wildly talked about in the lockdowns, but then alcohol sales were skyrocketing. (laughs) And I'm not saying that they're linked, but...
1: (laughs) I would say that they're 100% linked because they closed gyms and they kept open liquor stores as, as an essential service. The lineups were around the block for liquor stores. You were buying toilet paper and booze. And you couldn't go work out at a gym. I mean, of course, you could still go outside. But when it was cold and raining and lockdown, that was very unappealing. And so how could we mandate that it was okay to buy booze, but it wasn't okay to move your body, which is a number one conduit to good mental health. So it was very confusing. And that lasted quite a while, too. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, and it's very interesting to think about the I don't know the different conversations around that because it's like you know mental health like we need connection and all these things for our mental health we need movement we need all these things but then yeah keeping it as like an essential service it's just it did not make, make much sense yeah and
1: alcohol in <laughs> it, it if anyone knows the sort of um the biological or physiological nature of alcohol, it interrupts brain health. So, it interrupts mental health in, in both physical ways, like hippocampus shrinks when you're on alcohol over time. Um, it also impacts sleep, like it directly impacts your uh, ability to drop into REM. So, you actually never get a fully restful, good quality, high quality sleep. Um, your gut health is affected. So, we all know second brain or main brain gut health. Um, it, it directly impacts the microbiome and the flora and the nature of the, the organs that pass uh, that alcohol passes through afterwards. Like it's a whole body. We could go on and on and on. It's a whole body interruption. So, of course, when people are at home and their, their primary activity is happy hour at 12 pm, not no longer five. Um, if that's their only activity, the mental health is going to be plummeting. And we can speak outside of lockdown. You know, this is it, it really is at any time. Uh, when alcohol is the center of your occasion, all other areas of your life will be affected um, from a from a physical perspective all the way through to a mental perspective and then financial, relational, if that's the only thing you do. Now that's not the case for everybody. Not everyone is drinking. Uh, is over consuming alcohol. And I do think, and I do promote a mindful relationship to alcohol where people do have the capacity to sit within a, a, a relationship that is moderate, that is um, really conscious. They know what they're drinking, how much they're drinking, why, when, where, with whom, and they know that they're not drinking to escape they know that they're not drinking to be friends with that person or to be in that venue um, or to do that activity that I think is possible. But if you do it unconsciously, I do think it will trickle into all areas of your life and have a negative impact.
0: Absolutely. And that, that actually was a massive light for me that went off in my head of realizing I was actually, it was the day after I came back from an event that I heard Gabby Bernstein speak and not only were all of these kind of, there was a bunch of factors that were going into this kind of light bulb moment. But the thing that really clicked in was realizing that I drink in scenarios that I'm not having fun or around people I don't really like. Mm. And when I'm around people I really love sober, I don't feel the need to drink. It's always the social setting of like, situations I don't want to go to or people I don't want to be around or if I'm just not having fun simply it's like all right some liquid lubrication for all of those but above mm-hmm. and to numb out with the other stuff but mm-hmm. I just realized I don't want to be anywhere I'm not having fun like that and totally. I really you know channel that inner Kim Cattrall I think she was the one who said like she doesn't that's want it. to spend any second yes, that's <laughs> in, right. uh, around people or in places where she's not having fun yeah. and I was, it was a huge moment of like, wait a second, how many times have you been at dinner and you're just kind of like, and maybe, and this is probably not the case for everybody for, but for me, I'm thinking, oh my God, and chugging cocktails left and right of just trying to like, lessen the whatever around the situation, trying to make it a little bit easier to be around people or whatever, when I could simply just not put myself in those scenarios that I'm not having fun in.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yep. I, I definitely... I definitely know about that. I think when I think about dating culture, um, and I, I was dating for a few years, um, between two serious relationships and, uh, it was around the pandemic. It was around, it was from 2020 to 2023. And, um, that was the activity of choice, right? That's what we assumed we would do is we would go out for drinks and being someone that, doesn't really like alcohol, I really had to figure out what the language was that I would use to navigate that place. And I I often suggested the kind of walks and the hikes and the FaceTimes and the the weird first dates that everyone doesn't want to go on. Um, But to me, going out and drinking alcohol on a first date was not what I was interested in doing because I don't think I was going to meet I didn't want to be in that space first of all I didn't want to be in a loud crowded bar where I couldn't really hear you too well or I felt like there was some sort of of like a low frequency you know energy um I didn't want to be compromised physically for my safety with someone that I didn't know um I wasn't really you know, if you go somewhere and you don't really like the music or like you don't really like the the food, like you're putting yourself in a situation you don't want to be in. You, you kind of feel pressured to drink to get through it. So I resonate with what you're saying in that sense.
0: The amount of bad dates I've been on where I've just been getting sloshed to try to make it through instead of just getting up and simply leaving. Leaving, like this just person exiting. Is- <laughs> either like an asshole or I'm just politely needing to decline because I'm maybe not attracted or not interested or whatever it is. Right. But I've been on situations where like, they're just truly rude people. And instead of getting up and leaving, I'm like sitting there and drinking with them. And it's just kind of, what am I doing? And you yeah. wake up with a hangover the next day, like you're talking about it, wasn't and worth it. My hangovers were crippling. And, you know, coming from, it's so interesting hearing your perspective on like, Growing up and not really wanting to drink and not liking it and all of that because I grew up with parents who don't drink. They just mm. they don't put themselves in a label. But I've maybe seen my parents individually a little tipsy like once in my entire life per mm. parent. So mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting when I hear people's stories of having um, parents who like had a lot of alcohol around the house or um, even friends who have had struggles with their parents being addicts and things like that. Cause it's just, it's a very opposite experience from my own, Mm -hmm. but I think my parents not drinking actually made me so curious about it. Like it Mm. almost put me in a different direction of wanting to kind of rebel, Mm. even though they didn't tell me I couldn't, it wasn't this harsh, harsh, like no drinking. It wasn't like that. It just, there wasn't a conversation of the effects of alcohol or anything and now we have such interesting discussions cuz they both come from families where addiction does run in the family interesting but i never saw it firsthand so yeah now in hindsight it's so fascinating because i see why they don't drink cuz people in their lives who were struggling with addictions it makes sense to me now and it also makes sense to me that okay this is runs in the family just because it skipped a generation between my mom and my dad doesn't mean that's not in the family yeah yeah (laughs) and you know i always would make this joke of i want to be the drunk aunt the drunk mm-hmm. rich aunt who's like traveling and doesn't have any kids now i actually really want children but at this time in my life this was kind of how i wanted to categorize myself mm-hmm. and why did drunk have to be in that with the rich right. aunt like it's kind of fascinating <laughs> the i of rich think it aunt. comes from <laughs> yeah like instead of being the drunk rich aunt, why can't i just be the rich aunt but something about how much for me alcohol was intruding in all those different areas it was like i can't imagine being the rich aunt without that martini in hand, mm-hmm. and I think that that's influenced by so many things we've grown up watching. For me, Sex in the City is a massive one, mm-hmm. and like I couldn't wait to become of age to go have a cosmopolitan mm-hmm. and to get into the martinis mm-hmm. and feel like the sophisticated, hot woman who's in a downtown, mm-hmm. you know, scenario of Toronto, New York, all mm-hmm. these big cities. It was mm-hmm. so so attractive to me yeah. and then once I caught wind of what the reality is it forced me to think differently
1: yeah oh I can resonate with that I started working at Earl's when I was um 14 or 15 and by 16 I had my birthday at Gotham Steakhouse like if you know the if you know it it's like you have your 30th birthday
0: <laughs> Not it's your bougie 16th. it's like it's a bougie. really bougie Steakhouse, downtown downtown Vancouver. Vancouver. Yeah. And like rich guys go there. Like rich older guys in suits, not like a
1: not 18 Um, year olds. I'm embarrassed. 16 year olds. And they served us, I think, alcohol. Anyway. Um funny, yeah, because we just love I just loved that. Like I was I too was a big fan of Allie McBeal and Fraser and Sex in the City and um I just loved that lifestyle. I wanted it too. So I played on it for sure.
0: That's amazing. That's so funny (laughs) that you had that. That is like a niche that could be like a hinge prompt right there because that's just (laughs)
1: hilarious. (laughs) It's kind of embarrassing now, but um, it was, yeah, I just, I remember being surrounded by women that were in their early twenties in Vancouver uh, that were serving at, at Earl's and Cactus Club. That's where I, two places I worked growing up. And they all talked about that, you know, they, it, it looked so appealing. And that so that wasn't even alcohol advertising. That was straight up community influence <laughs> that got me. Um, so
0: funny. That's how it works too. I remember the event that I went to last year, they had a panel of like four or five women who were speaking on their experiences with, re- and relationships to alcohol. And some of them would categorize themselves as sober curious or sober. There's all Cali sober, the different labels and things like that. And for me, it just expanded what I perceived alcohol-free life to be Mm -hmm. because it, I'm seeing all of these women who were like independent, dynamic, attractive, but all looked different, Mm -hmm. right? There wasn't this specific ideal. They were just all attractive in their energy Mm -hmm. and the way that they carried themselves confident, Mm -hmm. successful in their businesses and what they did with their careers. And I just was so intrigued by this because it set a new standard of what I was attracted to and what I wanted to become Mm -hmm. like the person, you know, we talk on this podcast a lot about becoming your best Mm -hmm. self, seeing this, these women and literally talking about what this kind of before and after, but it wasn't about their appearance Mm -hmm. or their weight loss or anything like Mm -hmm. that. It was this like energy around how they felt about themselves and how they lived their lives versus Mm -hmm. now was completely changed the standard for how I wanted to be and how I wanted to look and I think for so many people they are scared to explore any kind of sober curiosity because they're so scared they're gonna have no friends they're gonna be this loner sitting inside on a Friday night doing nothing when maybe they love to go out and they're really social people Mm -hmm. and they just perceive alcohol-free life as basically a life not worth living because Mm. it's so heavily ingrained in our in our culture that you'll
1: be lonely or that you'll be on your own or that you won't be fun yeah and we have we've made fun of people endlessly for being you know lightweights and uh, boring and prudes and all sorts of things it's it's a horrible bullying culture I mean it's a it's the only drug that you really do feel guilty for not partaking in. I
0: would, yeah, yeah I've never felt, other yeah, drugs.
1: <laughs> you, you wouldn't pressure someone into, to maybe you would, but generally speaking, you wouldn't pressure someone into taking Coke, right? Like we wouldn't say, oh my gosh, you're such a loser for not drinking or not taking Coke, but you do, when you're talking about alcohol, you know, people really, really push you on it. And, and it's as intoxicating, if not more, and for, for longer, yeah, definitely. Yeah.
0: And I have been in so many scenarios and I've done my fair share of experimenting and I'm not proud to say it, but I think it's important to talk about because for me, I always said yes to those things when I was drunk, never when I was sober. And there were times where I said yes and there were times I said no. And the times I said no, it was never a peer pressure. They're just like, no worries, all good. We're alcohol. I I was at an event literally two nights ago and they said, you know, here's a shot. And I said, oh, no, I don't drink. And they went, why? Mm. (laughs) And I've just realized that for me to shut those conversations down, I say, I have a drinking problem. I don't drink. And they go, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. And they backtrack. Right. But it's, and I don't make them feel bad. I get it. It's all fine. But you know, it's kind of interesting how much you have to Mm over-explain where if you simply said, Oh, I'm okay. I don't want any pizza. Like I don't think people are like, just have a piece, just have one. Yes.
1: (laughs) It's weird. weird. And we know why, because we, when we are challenging our own relationships with alcohol, it directly challenges them to challenge theirs. So it's, it's holding up a mirror and I've, I've never really asked somebody at least consciously thinking about it right now, why they or what their relationship is to alcohol, unless that's part of the conversation. But so many times have I said, Oh, I don't, uh, I'm fine. Thank you. I don't drink alcohol. And they respond by saying, yeah, I've really cut back. Now I've been like, I didn't ask, but okay, that's cool. You know, it just stimulates them thinking about themselves and their own relationship to it. And that tells me there's something that's about funny. it that's unhealed. There's something about it that's un undiscussed. Um,
0: they suddenly have to feel like, like they just offered you a drink, but they're like, oh yeah, I've been actually like really cutting back. Like I hardly drink yeah. anymore. And they're suddenly like talking really fast and Nervous. over-explaining yeah and they're trying to backtrack. Meanwhile, they have like the glass of, or the bottle of wine in hand ready to pour or something like that. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> that's cool if you're,
1: I didn't ask. I really don't care what you're up to in your body. <laughs> it's up to you.
0: But there's something that is a mirroring moment for mm-hmm. them of maybe their relationship to alcohol is something that they suddenly need to over explain mm-hmm. or whatever to someone who just says that they simply don't mm-hmm. drink. And I think it is a kind of I've seen different things online and different communities of people. It's when people ask you, like, why don't you drink? They can say, like, what why do you mm-hmm. drink? That's an that's an interesting yeah. one. But I don't typically care enough Me to either. have those conversations yeah. or put it back. I just I'm like, I don't drink. Yeah. Okay? But you know, the we were talking with the and in discussion of big alcohol, of the fact that the responsibility is placed on mm-hmm. us in any of those advertisements and stuff like that. You say please it says please drink responsibly. Mm-hmm. The responsibility is placed on us as a consumer and not on the fact that the liquid that we are pushed to consume is in is addictive in its nature and is like literal poison. Mm-hmm. So for someone who doesn't know how to moderate their drinking, it's not at it's not because they're broken or that they're like no. a less than human. It's because the thing that they're trying to consume in a moderate manner is literally addictive it's
1: overriding their ability to manage that it's not them yeah and your the your nature your biological nature will respond differently to alcohol so some people have um a genetic predisposition to handle and tolerate alcohol more than others some people have a genuine uh, like allergy to alcohol and they break out in red cheeks and a red flush around their body and we've labeled that with all sorts of slurs, but that's actually someone's body saying, I'm unable to detox alcohol. I don't have the, gen- the genetics to do that. And I'm trying to get you to stop by screaming out loud. <laughs> it's a fire alarm. Yeah. And we laugh and we poke fun at people that have this uh, physical response. And, and it, it's literally telling the body to stop. So there's so many reasons why um, we, we can't put the onus on the individual as much as we do. Uh, I do still think we need to at some point, but we can't put it on as much and, and leave big alcohol out of the responsibility.
0: Absolutely. And I used to be that girl who was like, like getting together almost yeah. like, you're so weak to not be able to drink. Right. And it's, I cringe at myself now, but I was really wrapped up into the, the same messaging because I was so determined to be the girl who could handle, like could crush 18 martinis and be fine, Mm -hmm. you know, still standing. Like I wanted to be able to keep up with the boys. Like I was, it to me was like the symbol of being able to be the cool girl, I think. And in reality it was the complete opposite, but it's interesting how much these messages are pushed and how, us as individuals are trying to navigate them and trying to figure out what's wrong with us if we can't keep up or we don't wish to. Mm-hmm. And being able to still feel like we're a normal person in society. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's anything, Courtney. But, that's that's so average, the way that you would try and keep up with everybody and
0: now you're living the not-so-average not so right? life. <laughs> it's actually not average to... to be questioning these things, right? It's it's in that pursuit of becoming the person who deconstructs social social norms. And I mean, this is why we're having these conversations. This is it's funny because I didn't really know what I was building many years ago when I put my hand. I put my Instagram handle as the not so average bitch when I was eighteen, <laughs> and I have no idea why. But you know, it was something that led me into becoming this person who was so curious with these discussions. Mm-hmm. And did I ever know that it was going to become this mission of like sobriety for my own self and also wanting to cultivate um safe spaces for other women. Like, no, I didn't. I had no idea. And I'm sure that for you, if you asked your like if you were asked 15 years ago, would you be here today, you would probably have no idea. No. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I
1: didn't think this would be such a big conversation for myself. I knew I had some inkling around uh, um have a dislike for alcohol for sure and I've spoken to that but no did I ever think that I was going to be <laughs> I was just standing up at a I was just doing a talk for a big corporation last week who's like really deconstructing and decentralizing their relationship to alcohol and they're in real estate so it's a big topic um, for them oh my gosh. but to be giving talks to people who've been doing things for that hundreds of years. So, yeah, I didn't think that I would be doing that. I'm really happy to though. It's
0: really cool. It's really yeah. cool. Yeah. And being that you're in the industry of, you know, running an alcohol-free agency mm-hmm. and marketplace and involved in so many community events, um, do you have any like quick tips for people who could be listening who maybe are not, they've never categorized themselves with any kind of sobriety or sober curious, but now that they're listening to this, they're kind of maybe wanting to reevaluate the relationship with alcohol, mm-hmm. but they're scared to lose all their friends. Mm-hmm. They're scared to lose that socialization yeah. part of things. Do you have any recommendations for them and how they can feel mm-hmm. still connected to other people?
1: Yeah. So certainly finding a place where community uh, exists that's alcohol-free is is helpful. Um, I, I do say now we're an agency marketplace and community because we put on so many events that people can um, take part in, join in any form, uh, online, offline, that I do think you would be, you would find it helpful to have conversations with other people that are also in the same curiosity. So finding spaces like that, um, there are, they are now in major cities where you can go and we host wine tastings where you can come and meet other people and try alcohol-free products. Um, I know that there's other groups that host nights out where it's purely about going to places that are only serving alcohol-free drinks or they curate a bar that's alcohol-free and they bring everybody in with that intention. If you're going to do, um, if you know that most of your friends are uh, still drinking alcohol and you'd like to go alcohol-free, go, go at it for a month and ask someone to do it with you and ask, you know, the person that might be the most likely to go out with you, ask them if they'd be willing to do it with you. It is so much easier to have a a partner, Um, go at it with you and then they can also kind of debrief with you the next day how it felt what were some of the challenges Um, but go places as well that serve alcohol-free drinks everyone wants to hold something I think that's the biggest feedback I get about the the benefit of our business is I just wanted something to put in my glass I just needed to put my hands somewhere when I went out and if you can find someone somewhere that has a really great uh, zero proof menu just prioritize those locations while you're going alcohol free and then surround yourself with podcasts that expand your perspectives um read read a couple books quit like a woman is an awesome one um alcohol explained by william porter is another great one and uh super curious is a, re- is a really great one as well so i would check out all of those three and and just you know re- sit with yourself if you if you don't think that you need to give up alcohol fully forever then there's some mindful questions that i would ask like ask myself like how does it make me feel before during and after not only physically but mentally you know anxiety is real and it's actually biological by the nature of alcohol your uh gaba your dopamine your serotonin all get flooded when you drink alcohol and so you are depleted after you drink so feeling stressed and anxious and upset afterwards is normal. And it's because of alcohol. It's not because of who you are. Um, I would look at what situations you're putting yourself in. And if you'd like to be there without alcohol and people you'd like to be around, I'd reassess those things. And I would also ask a really important question for me that really changed the game is, um, can I feel joy without alcohol? do I experience joy without alcohol? For how long, when, with whom? Because it is an innate part of who we are. We we can experience euphoria and excitement and joy and fun and celebration. We can experience those emotions without alcohol, but we typically relied on them to get there. So you are attaching peak life experiences like let's just call you know straight line ones getting married having a child celebrating a birthday an engagement um anything like that a job promotion a win uh, we're celebrating these peak life experiences where we would innately feel joy from them we're attaching them to alcohol so are you sure that you can experience them without just make sure that you are and then you can move into a more mindful relationship with alcohol
0: That's huge. The joy one really, that rocked me. Yeah. I love that so much. I think those are incredible tips. I love the idea of doing it with a buddy because I definitely took the lonely route of just, you know, not even wanting to tell anyone that I was like wanting to not drink anymore, trying to hide it. And life doesn't have to be done so isolated. And, you know, in the grand respect, I wish I had, you know, connected more and I'm so glad that communities like sensoriums and others are starting to become more popular and become more accessible Mm -hmm. to let allow these conversations and allow these kind of journeys to be done with meeting really cool people Mm -hmm. and just like I said earlier that the dynamic women I met at the previous event really you know they dropped such important seeds for me moving forward in identifying my relationship with alcohol that I don't know if I'd be there without them today. And it sounds dramatic, but it's very true because it was like, I really needed some real life role models to look at that. And, you know, if you think of even just a couple celebrities that I think are like the hottest, coolest people, like Blake Lively is one of them. She doesn't drink. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, I got it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Kim Kardashian doesn't really drink anymore. Jennifer Lopez. Or, I don't think yeah. she ever really, really is. J-Lo. Look at J-Lo. She's in her fifties and she's like literally the most gorgeous woman. Yeah. And so not gorgeous externally, but also internally mm-hmm. too, that mm-hmm. energy and the drive and all of that. And so I feel for me that my level of joy is just now beginning and experiencing without alcohol mm-hmm. because I've been drinking since I was 15. Mm-hmm. But I hope for anyone listening that they really reflect on those questions that you just outlined for them because we all deserve joy. We all deserve a life that's that's lived in the most beautiful, expansive mm-hmm. way. And if that has to be done without alcohol or if it, you know, revolves just identifying your relationship mm-hmm. with it, um, to be able to get there, I think that's crucial. And I think I, I wish everyone to do just the curiosity around it, because I feel like for me, I feel like I'm starting over in the best way possible. And it sounds like you've completely changed your relationship with your mom and be able to be the mother that you really want to be for your daughter mm-hmm. as well
1: yeah yeah it, it definitely relationally the way alcohol changes your life is something you will never want to see uh, reversed so I can definitely attest to that amazing yeah
0: oh I'm so glad this is so yeah. good let's quickly talk about the the event that you have running this week, because this is coming out on Wednesday. And then the event is actually going to be tomorrow night.
1: Yeah. So August the 3rd, we're going to be, um, in Toronto. So I'm normally based in Vancouver, but I'm flying out to Toronto. We are hosting, uh, an alcohol-free wine tasting night at Lavelle on King street West it's going to be five Edenvale wines. So Edenvale is an award-winning Australian winery. Uh, the founder's coming out, and he's going to be speaking with me about five of their uh, wines. We're going to have this beautiful spread of Lavelle food. We're going to have a gift bag for everyone, these beautiful views of the city. And um, I'm excited because these are sellout events in Vancouver, and I can't wait to bring it to the folks in Toronto who have been asking for us to come out
0: awesome. It's going to be a gorgeous event. I'm so, so excited guys. If you want to grab a last minute ticket, um, Fiona has been kind enough to also give us a code for 20% off. So you're going to get essentially $10 off the ticket. It's going to be code, not so average. It's obviously going to be linked below, but just want to quickly plug that. And before you leave us, if you could just let us know where we can all find you and go stock Sensorium and all of the products.
1: <laughs> yes, of course. So you can go to sensorium.com S A N S O R I U M And our handle is the same on Instagram. So you'll find us there.
0: Amazing. That'll be all linked below. Everyone definitely check them out. There's so many good products. And if you're like me and you always need to be holding something and you still want those exciting sex it up cocktails without the negative benefits, then I would definitely recommend checking them out. Of course, you can find me off the not so average bet on all social media platforms and the podcast drops every Wednesday. Fiona, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you guys for listening and I'll see you next Wednesday. Bye guys.